what I heard in what you just said is that you implemented an inbound marketing strategy, uh, applied it to a social media network, but professional social media network, which then generated inbound traffic, which then turned into qualified leads, um, which then turned into qualified opportunities, which then were converted into contract uh, opportunities uh, with uh, these brands. Uh, that is it, correct, sir. Okay. That is correct. But in my defense, I hadn't actually studied sales yet. Question, how do you go from liberal arts major to having brands like IBM, The Economist, and Verizon reaching out to you in your inbox to pitch you on why you should be working with them? That's just one of the questions that we're going to be covering on today's episode of The Modern Consultant. That's because I had the pleasure of talking with Earl Richards, strategy, operations, and analytics consultant for Fortune 500s that you have heard about and startups that you will be hearing about in the future. But that's not all. We also get into how to execute one of these consulting projects phenomenally well, so well that 70% of new business is actually going to come through referrals. We talk about pre-mortem, we talk about post-mortem, we talk about onboarding, we talk about execution and everything in between. We also talk about the career growth stages of the independent consultant journey. And we also talk about when not to productize. There is a lot for us to cover in today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and let's get right to it. First off, Earl, I just want to say welcome to the show. Um, it is an honor uh, to have you here. And I really mean that uh, because um, we've known each other at this point for over a decade. And that has been a decade of me having the privilege of learning from you, you being there for me as a friend, and so much more. You know, So I just want to say thank you for making the time to do this. And I just want to say, Mark, I am honored and humbled to be your guest on this podcast. I want to say that not to be competitive, but it's more than mutual for me. So there you go. I win. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, so before we, we, we hit the record button, um, you said that there was a story behind you going to Wesleyan? Am I pronouncing yes. that correctly? That is correct. Yeah, the, you know, it, the first Wesleyan. There's a couple. So of I, okay, all right. So I'm personally curious, though, about yeah. you know, because we've never really spoken about like how you made the transition from like oh, college to then getting into the world of consulting. Because, like I had shared before, um, we started recording. One of the things that I've been personally interested in is mm -hmm. a lot of people struggle to get new consulting opportunities, new, right. you know, new contracts and everything. And you reliably work with, you know, some of the biggest brands and stuff in the world, you know, from IBM to The Economist uh, and many, many more, you know. So tell us the story of who was Earl before consulting uh, and how you uh, got into it. Absolutely. I um Pulling skeletons out of the closet. I was a very, very curious, <clears throat> read nerdy child. I've come on the small island in the Caribbean called St. John, part of the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I mentioned that because how I ended up to school was sheer curiosity. 
I was always that little, I was that little kid that um, I literally would read the encyclopedia when I saw something on PBS, whether Sesame Street <laughs> or Wishbone for, for to age myself a little bit, right? And so for me, um, my transition into going to school, a liberal arts school called Wesley University in Connecticut, then up in New York, I would say it's just sheer curiosity and a little bit of ego involved because I like getting, I like having the answers. I like knowing stuff. And so for me, um, call it the, uh, the will to learn. I don't mind putting myself in situations where I can learn lessons and take it from there and sharing those lessons. So for me, um, that's been kind of my guiding principle. Um, that's really interesting to me. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I grew up with a printed collection of um, Encyclopedia Britannica. Did I ever tell you? No, you didn't. Because I was a world yeah. book. I had a world yeah. book. <laughs> it was huh. missing yeah. Q for some reason. But I was like, I learned nothing about Q, but I read different letters. What was your favorite book? I, I I had I, I had <laughs> like the 26 volume, you know, yeah. you got to dig into the index to find which of yes. the books you then need to go to to find the yep. answer to the word that you were looking. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, I did. So that that actually explains a lot. <laughs> because the hardest one for me was origami. I remember this being eight years old. Learned from in Sesame Street, and I was like, "What is origami?" And they talked about it in the show. But then, of course, I had to learn more. So then I went to my mine was World Book, World Book Encyclopedia, not Britannica. <laughs> okay, so this is this is cool. It explains so much because we both through our own independent journeys, got deep into the world of personal development as well as professional development and the world of consulting, you know? Yes. And so, so, so that's, that's very fascinating to me. I'm, I'm discovering this live. So how <laughs> then do you go from Wesleyan to, you know, becoming the consultant that is then working with like these globally recognized brands? Sure. Uh, so <sighs> So many stories I could share, but the one I would tell you is the one I told my my uh, college, not recruiter, but he's uh, the college counselor at my my high school, and I had been to a few campuses during uh, my junior year of, of high school, and the one that I'm going to was in university. He sat me down in his office and he asked me, "What was the one thing that?" stood out for you for the one college that he knows I was I was excited about. And I was like going through my head, saw some really great classes, met some really interesting students. You know, I was a pre-fosh, I used to call it, before I joined, before I attended. And I was going through all the things, like it was, uh, it was the food was amazing. The campus food was amazing. And then end up, I had to settle on the people. And he had, and I, it was, obnoxious but so prescient the one thing that he wrote on a word on the paper and then they showed it up he's like the people so one of the things that made my college experience um as valuable as it was for me and still to this day i'm 20 years later so friends with the friends from college it was the people that i met there the people i learned from and mm -hmm. to answer your question long-windedly admittedly i wouldn't have gotten where i am today and would have accomplished some of the things i have if it wasn't for the people in my life my literal first job is one of my really good friends from college and he happened to share this role i still share this role for a strategy analyst i'm like my friend sam silver severio it's like silver there's nothing strategic or analytical about me why would you think this job is for me but he knew me so well 
and we've been in some classes together, et cetera. And he knew me so well. I was like, why don't you give it another look? I think you might be a good fit for this role. And that's started my journey in this hybrid role of a somebody involved with strategy, operations, and analytics. But it was because of people in my life that saw things that I may have missed that helped me get to me where I'm at. I will not be here if it wasn't for the people in my life and the books, including encyclopedias. So bigger themes I'm even hearing within that is not just, you know, having a group of people around you who could potentially introduce you to new opportunities, who can right. see into uh, yourself, you know, personally, professionally, to then, you know, make a connection as far as what might be a strong fit. But the other thing that I'm also hearing within that is you being the kind of individual that's open to new opportunities as well. Because sometimes, you know, at least in my own life, I've had situations where a great opportunity has come along. I haven't been open to it though. And 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 it passes me by and I go, it goes to someone else and I see them, you know, take <laughs> yep. off with it. Um, but yep. then there are op other opportunities where I have said yes to. And so you being able to have the eyes to say yes to the right thing uh, is something that I think anyone, uh, yeah. you know, myself, I could learn from that. Anyone listening to this could also learn from it as well. But to bridge that to the next question, mm -hmm. if you do it once, okay, it might be luck. If you do it twice, you know, okay, great. Might yeah. still be luck, but do it three times and that's pattern recognition. There's something going on there and you haven't yeah. done it just three times. You've done it more than 10 times. And again, like working with, you know, some of the best in the world. And so how did you then go from, one to three or even like one to ten uh, of your first consulting opportunities um honestly it's it's funny you took the words right out of my mouth when you said pattern recognition if i were to say that i've had any mutant power or any superpower it would be the able to figure things out really quickly uh, and figure out the timing you know my dad was a musician i was a musician as well as a kid and i just start to figure out patterns and to answer your question I would say that I started despite the brands that I worked with, the size of the company, the industries, I started mm -hmm. to see more of the commonalities between the brands I was working on and even in the agencies I worked at and the teams I worked on. I started to see different patterns. Like they, there's an expression in Korea and I'm sure it's in other Asian countries, but same, same, but different. So my brain was starting to notice in the patterns. And so to your point, by the third opportunity this the third group of team i worked with the third brand i started to see oh well this is it's a little different it's a different entry you're not finance you're cpg but you're in a healthcare but you're still trying to find the right audience make sure that you're giving them what they want make sure you can figure out how to deliver what they want and then make sure that you can measure how well things are going right okay. and regardless of the company regardless of the clients every from my experience at least every client is trying to do one of those things and so once you start to see the patterns of things, you can start to learn more, but still apply what, what I've picked up along the way. So to go even deeper on this, something that I know that you are exceptionally good at and something that has inspired me to become better at it is you are a ferocious note taker, like, and particularly <laughs> a ferocious like digital note taker. You categorize everything uh, to an incredible amount of detail. And I'm curious, has that always been the case? For example, at the yeah. end of the first consulting 
your project? Were you journaling? Were you taking notes or, or not? Or was it just, you know, mental, mental notes even? Mental notes, I would say, the more than anything. I'm a big fan of written notes, and I do make it a habit to write down even during, you know, this conversation. I, even if I'm not writing it down, this is, I'm making notes in my head as a, you know, as we have this conversation. Um, for me, the way I look at it is that when I'm having conversations with clients or friends or just even somebody at the bar, my mind, it's like, yeah. You ever seen Batman? You, have you heard of the guy named Batman? Rich guy, let's say, jumping the roof. <laughs> maybe, and, you know, maybe just a little bit. Crime and stuff like that. that guy, well, he had a Possibly. bat belt, right? Bright yellow bat belt that has all the cool things, like a batarang and all that stuff. Well, the way I look at my mind is when I have conversations with really interesting people or experiences with different clients and brands, it's I'm adding to my bat belt. Mm. You know, uh, I check Charlie Munger. Um, you know, he's the right hand man to who's the rich guy? Warren Buffett. Uh, right? Yes, yes, Warren yeah. Buffett. yeah, I believe he's so. Right hand yeah. man to Warren Buffett. Yeah, I think he calls it mental models or uh, uh, the lattice work of mental models. And mm. so I call it my bat belt. It's more relatable to me. But the idea is that every time I have an interaction, I am taking the lessons I've learned from thus my own experiences, but from others and putting them in my belt belt, my, my bat belt. So then when I see it again, i.e. back to pattern recognition, I can bring it up again. Okay, that makes sense. When it's so something that someone watching or listening this is just <laughs> not going to have context on is if they're in a conversation with you, it is normal mid-conversation for you to send hyperlinks to things that are happening <laughs> in that conversation. Like that's the level of note-taking that I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> that's that's a real thing. That is, that and, is true. Just on a call the other day, I do that. I didn't think that was an uncommon thing, but I guess so. Yeah. That's why we're having this conversation because again, there's these subtle things that you do that yeah. you think you see it as normal, but they're actually like consulting superpowers because there's no meeting notes to even send at the end of the call. They're already yeah. there. <laughs> and it was sent digitally, usually through some medium that can be searched. And so there's a search index of every thing that has ever been spoken about with every person, you yeah. know? And so, so like there's, there's, I noticed <laughs> things like that. You know, and so, so, yeah. so yeah, that's so I'm curious <laughs> consulting project, like number, what, when would you say you began to identify as a consultant, at least for me, when I start, when I started consulting is not when I even would have said that I was a consultant. Was it the right. same for you? Um, yeah, I, it was the same in terms of, I was, I wouldn't call it imposter syndrome, but I was really, really reluctant to call myself a consultant. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I started, uh, I call it freelancing, right? So mm -hmm. in my career path, I always often tell, you know, clients I work with or potential hiring managers or that I speak to for opportunities, I divide my career in chapters. My first, my first chapter in my career was starting an analytics, um, strategy and analytics in digital marketing, digital agencies. And I work with some really well-known brands learned a lot. I got really comfortable with a lot of platforms and I've leveled my leveled up. And the I think the next chapter of my career was taking everything that I've learned, but how can I, for lack of a better expression, how can I go dating? 
right? So for me, my at the time I by the time I was making that transition, different chapter of my career, um, it was around the Great Recession, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to get my MBA. This is just an interesting story. I don't even get to say it out loud, but I was uh, trying to figure out what to do about getting my MBA because I knew I wanted to level up my skills, level up my my knowledge, and I want to you know see what I can learn because I like learning, so and so I can give more to my clients, and. I was like, well, but I'm also broke. So, and there's a recession. So what can I do? And I discovered um, this site because Google was amazing uh, by Josh Kaufman. He did this, uh, he called it the personal MBA. And he had this philosophy in terms of um, using some of the best books in business in different areas. So you can teach yourself the basic skills so you can get better in whatever, section discipline you want to get better into for example it could be marketing it could be sales or operations or finance and so my mind was thinking that so instead of paying money to learn something in a class the next chapter of my career was what i titled my personal mba so i started freelancing taking on three months six months year-long projects but focusing on areas that i wanted to get better at so there was one string of opportunities that I engaged with, but I was learning more about sales, like what it is to find a prospect. How do you go through the lead funnel? How do you figure out what's the best way to follow up? What's the best framing when you're telling a story to get your prospects to, you know, turn your prospects into clients, you know, and then hopefully to evangelists. And there's another time when I was learning more about marketing. What is the difference between digital marketing and branding and yeah. growth hacking? you know, which was just about at the time. So for me, I reverse engineered it and said that instead of me paying a school, something like I was, I was only considering some of the top 10, right? We're talking Harvard Business School. We're talking Columbia. I started just taking on projects so that way I can learn the skills while getting paid. It's a win-win. So again, I didn't know this, but (laughs) I had... I took a similar path in that I had this vision for, hmm, what would it take for me to become a chief marketing officer? And then how could I construct uh, internships in the different departments that I would need to master? What courses would I need to take? What are the skill, what's the skill stack uh, that I need to learn uh, in (laughs) order to be able to round that out? You know, yeah. uh, so so that it's so interesting that like you came to the same conclusion uh, yeah. on yourself. Um, yeah. So dive in a little bit deeper on this, though. Please. You you were reading all of these books. Uh, yeah. How long, for example, did it take you to read the personal MBA? I'm just curious. Although the build, the book hadn't come out yet. That was just a blog. Oh, the book hadn't come out yet. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I but think, like on average though, like how long does it take you to go through? Uh so this is before Audible, Amazon bought Audible. So for me, probably a book a week. I could get the book done in a week, probably sooner, depending on what ended up happening, it became an inflection point because once you start going on, so for example, I call them courses in my mind, because I was trying to mimic the, the MBA program. Once you read one book on sales, then you read another book that has a different perspective on sales. So you start to see the different 
similarities and differences between different approaches. So yeah. I started getting faster at reading the more I read about the same topic. So it started out like one book a week, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Then I could get through two a week, you know, and if I wanted to aggressively, I could do three a week. But it was only because once you start to have the basics and you recognize some of the similar concepts, some of the similar ideas, then you could start to, oh, I've seen this, I know what they're talking about when it comes to psychology. Like I, I know these concepts, so. I'm glad. Thank you for answering that. Because again, um, there are people listening to this who maybe might read four books for the year. And you're saying that maybe you read like sometimes three books in a week. So I just wanted to benchmark that throughput, the learning throughput for being able to just architect an exponential growth curve um, through you know, just the, 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 the types of clients um, that you were working with uh, over time. And so of course, learning here um, is, is, is a key theme. And what do you, if you could go back in time to tell Earl of the first three consulting projects, you know, what Earl knows now, like, what yeah. would you tell yourself? How would you advise yourself? Is there anything different you would do in your consulting journey? Um, that's a great question. I would say that, like you mentioned, I had a very similar journey in terms of when I was curious to something, I had one go-to source that I'll go to for it. Like our, our sense of encyclopedias, for example, then when the internet came to my house, game changer, right? I can look up anything I want. I can, it was great. But one of the things that I would say um, that has helped me later on in my career, because I was better at asking for help was uh, leveraging people who were ahead of me, but where I wanted to go to. So I've been lucky, especially earlier in my career, the first chapter of my career of working under or next to some really great, just not even just professionals, but managers and bosses. And I think that the thing that I would do differently is, you know, take advantage of their experience, their knowledge, their skills, right? Yeah. Whether it's virtually taking them out to coffee, for example, or just getting to know them better. Because I, like I said, um, one of the things that's got me to where I'm at from, you know, knee high on the islands to going to school in, the, in New England and doing what I've done here in New York City, for me, been a combination of just my curiosity and drive to you know figure stuff out but like i said the people in my life and what i would do differently is leverage the um they would hate that i call them this but i consider them as mentors mm-hmm. that i've had to model i've had the fortune to not only just have their you know have a relationship with them but i was able to model what i admired about them and see what made them successful so mentorship, it, this has come up on previous uh, interviews that I've done as well, you know, and it's not something that's uncommon to, you know, professional, you know, uh, health, wealth, and love, you know, uh, as, as Tony Robbins likes to say. Uh, so jumping forward in time mm-hmm. to answer a question that I know someone who's a little bit earlier on in their uh, consulting journey might have, which is, how do you reliably get your foot in the door uh, with some of these bigger brands like The Economist uh, and uh, IBM? 
you know, is it, do they seek you out? Um, do you seek them out? Is it uh, a referral? How does that even work? How does that happen? Yeah, I've, like I said, I've been really lucky. <laughs> there were ups and downs in my career so far. Absolutely. But I think for me, it's been a combination of things. It's mostly been through, uh, I hate to say because I'm a successful marketer, but my branding on LinkedIn, for example, right? Okay. I didn't realize at the time, but um, like I said, my during my first chapter of my career, I had done, a, you know, I've been rewarded for the work that I did. And I, that reflected in the opportunities that I had in the first chapter of my career. Because mm-hmm. of that, I, the way that I, you know, found a lot of these opportunities is that they actually found me. And by them, I mean the recruiters or the hiring Same. managers. They, okay. and, and actually one of my first freelance consulting gigs was learning about SEO. I don't know nothing about search, but I need to know the basics so I can know what I'm talking about. And I realized that I was, I could use the best, uh, the best practices and principles of SEO to my LinkedIn profile. So I made it easier okay. using those best practices. This is the basic level. I'm not intermediate or advanced at all, but using mm-hmm. the basic principles and practices of SEO, I made sure to tell the story that would get the attention of the hiring managers, the recruiters, the headhunters from these yeah. staffing agencies, recruiting agencies, and these brands, whatnot, to come find me. And if they were always up in my inbox, my LinkedIn uh, my inbox, and they would always say, like, your experience is amazing. And this is like me, like five years out of, you know, five years in my career. And I was like, I didn't think it was, but I guess so. So you're very humble. And what I heard in what you just said is that you implemented an inbound marketing strategy, yeah. uh, applied it to a social media network, <laughs> a professional social media network, which then generated yeah. inbound traffic, which then turned into qualified leads, um, which then turned into qualified opportunities, which then were converted into contract uh, opportunities uh, with uh, these brands. Uh, that is it, correct, sir. Okay. That is correct. But in my defense, I hadn't actually studied sales yet. So I just finished marketing. I was good on analytics and sales. I hadn't gotten there yet, but now that I know all those words mean now, but then I wouldn't have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, but in some ways it's, it could be inspiring to the right person that you can do these things without necessarily having this extensive, like formal or technical training uh, in it, you know, so long as it's effective, uh, then it works. Yeah. You know, you just have to do the right things in the right place uh, right. to be able to be found, you know? Right. Um, so, so that's, that's actually a very, like, in my opinion, that that's a, that's a universal principle that can be applied so. until the end of time. And yeah. I want to just make sure that not to, not to interject, but I want to make sure that like for anybody who's listening, myself, my younger self included, I would say that understand that, you know, you're going to try things and some things may not quote unquote work. But then you learn from those and you take those lessons to maybe try something differently or and then so that we can see the results. So like in my upcoming TED talk, which is yet to be scheduled, (laughs) my metaphor will be that my career has been like a room in a dirty living room. I'm just bumping into stuff and sucking it up along the way. And so for me, like a lot of these, like I in hindsight, it looks like it made sense. So, yeah, you're doing a you're doing a Legion campaign for your own career. And I'm like. 
I didn't know it at the time, but that it just what made sense to me. So I think just want to make it clear to people who are listening that I tried something and I took the feedback from it. And I, if it worked, I kept doing it. And if it didn't, I changed it. It's not rocket science. Not so you applied the scientific method uh, for the purposes of- <laughs> You really are good at branding. <laughs> you really are good at branding. development. I just come from a background in science. And so <laughs> part of what we do is we listen yes. and then put things in the- appropriate category <laughs> for technical <laughs> accuracy. <laughs> I don't want to mislabel myself. I'm not a scientific person at all. I'll tell you the thing that's so over. Strategy and analytics, what are you talking about? Science, what? Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's, that, that's, part of, that's part of what we do. Uh, so, <laughs> so to hone in then on uh the next step of like the consulting journey we've been talking about the consulting journey in yeah. terms of career growth stages yes. but now i want to zoom in on the consultant's journey through just one project and okay. let's say with you know and we don't have to talk about specific projects but yeah. so far we've been talking about the first part which is just even being found and then you know, starting a new project and then onboarding, you have a lot of experience um, yeah. with, you know, crafting onboarding experiences and also being onboarded to different uh, teams. Yeah. Uh, what is one thing you wish that consultants would know that nobody talks about when it comes to getting started with a new team? I think that's what I found in hindsight. And I've, you know, I thought about this a lot, actually. It's a great question. I think that we've talked about, you know, curiosity being one of my main drivers to for anything. What I've found really helpful in my career, especially that part of my career with the consulting, is asking better questions. Right. And yes, I like reading books. Yes, I like learning from mentors. But when it comes to consulting specifically, I the thing that I found the most valuable is being able to ask the right questions so I can get to the root of the problem, right? Mm. Oftentimes, regardless of whatever engagement I'm referring to, oftentimes some of the clients have this initial idea what the problem is. And I'm totally, I, I'm open to hearing about it. I want to learn more because from, from their business to their industry, they're the subject matter experts. But I often found that because of my curiosity and because I like asking questions, I want to dig into that a little deeper so I can understand how it works because I want to see the connections. And for me, after, you know, asking the right questions for me is, uh, I think, okay, this is the why we're here or why, why we're even talking right now. Then I go into the solid mode. It's like, how can we get to where you want to go? So for me, asking questions um, could be because I started as an analyst. That's literally my job is to ask questions, but it's also to be able to work with clients um, and other agencies to figure out how do we get those answers so get them where they want to go. Because even in your experience, you mentioned that you were deciding what do I need to learn, what classes do I need to take, you know, what internships do I need to you know apply for and crush it at if I wanted to be a CMO, right? Mm -hmm. Also, my, my, my mind works as well. What's the most frustrating thing to you about getting started with a new team? The most frustrating thing I've seen is that most companies, not all, but most companies 
haven't been the best at providing a knowledge base for anybody that's new. It's not just consultants. It's not just freelancers. It's even full-time, you know, full-time employees that are coming, you're joining the team. I've, because I've done it so many times as a full-time employee, as a consultant, as a freelancer, whatever you want to call me, I've, I know that process in and out. I have a checklist for myself. Like what meetings do I need to join? What resources are available? What team members I need to meet? What stakeholders I need to be in touch with? I have a checklist in my mind and I have a checklist written because I take notes that I can literally go through just to make sure I get a lay of the land. And a lot of companies, um, I guess for different reasons, they haven't been the best from my, from my experience at cultivating that uh, institutional knowledge to make it easy for somebody to come on board, regardless of their role. So you start with a new team. Sure. What has made the difference, in your opinion, between teams you've worked with that have done really well yeah, and teams that just crash and burn? Uh, it's really easy to say. Um, so for context for everybody else listening, I have no coordination. I don't play any sports. Um, I can barely dance. And I say that because the metaphor I'm going to draw is on sports ball. And I want to make that context clear. So what I've seen throughout the analogy in sports is that the places that don't have strong leadership, i.e. coaching, of where the team wants to go and how we're going to win the game. And also, it's not just the coaching, but the understanding of who the team members are on the team and what are their strengths and weaknesses. So those are the two things that understanding the rules and responsibilities and understanding what's the objective, what's the goal, what are we working towards? You know, I think there's a lot of frameworks out there that people can use, like the OKRs, for example. I'm not... What, what does OKRs stand for, just in case? Oh, yeah, yeah. Objectives and Key Results is a framework, I think, that was developed at Intel, but I believe that Google adopted it and made it more of their process for their global organization. But the idea is that for every level of team member, um, from the individual contributor to the team itself, to the division, to the organization, there is a clear objective of what they're trying to accomplish for a time period. Could be a quarter, could be a year, could be five years. Uh, but the idea is that what's your key objective? What are we trying to get to? Uh, the analogy I will sell to some clients is before you start training for the marathon, you got to know where the finish line is, right? So it's good to know where the finish line is. So that's your objective. And so the other part of that, the O is the objective. The KR is the key results. And basically that's saying, how do you know that you've gotten there? Right. So you want to know, like, what gives you evidence that you've increased your sales, you've improved your branding, you've uh, uh, created, you're creating an application that everybody can't live without. See TikTok. The idea is that you have something that's measurable that can give you proof to the team, to the individual contributor, to the whole organization that you've accomplished your goals. And I found that that's necessary for every project I engage with when they when they don't have that. There's no goal. There's, there's nowhere to go in different places. So let's say they have it. What could cause them to still fail? Not planning to fail. Really? So, tell me. Not planning yeah. to fail. So right. 
one of the things I've seen, and it's, you can call it toxic positivity, right? There's one thing mm-hmm. about saying that you want to shoot for your goal. You want to accomplish your objectives. You want to, you know, hit, hit the mark. Um, one of the things that I found actually most helpful, just me being a skeptic, is thinking about the reversed. Before the start of the project, thinking about how can this, how can we fail at this? Like, what would happen? Like, we miss our deadlines. We don't have enough uh, funding. Um, we, we don't have a member on our team that's available that got sick or something like that. And so for me, I think the concept is another concept. I uh, can't give you the attribution, but it's called the, pre, the pre-mortem. So, now, so whenever the project, especially in consulting, you have a post-mortem. So when things are done and you've either accomplished your goals or you didn't accomplish your goals, you take a look at that, you take a look back at what worked, what didn't work, what you can do better for next time. So that way you at least you didn't even hit your numbers, you at least got lessons so you can apply for the next initiative. That's a post-mortem. What I'm referring to, it's called the pre-mortem, thinking about mm-hmm. assuming we didn't hit our numbers for whatever reason, we start to think about those reasons so we can plan accordingly. Again, uh, this scientists do this. Uh, scientists <laughs> When this planning is, ex- I think there's something to the science thing. We should, I should look into that. There's maybe, something to the science thing. Maybe, maybe, man. Like before planning an experiment, you would yeah. create a hypothesis, you know, yeah. and what would happen if basically yeah. these yeah. conditions are met, you know, yeah. and and you to write a testable hypothesis, uh, you have to make a statement that can be falsifiable and you know sometimes that might mean quantifying it you know uh, but either way you're making a prediction about what the outcome may be and then you construct the study to then right. validate or invalidate that a hypothesis you right. know so that yeah that makes perfect sense to me um, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, now that i think about it i didn't realize this time but now that you keep you know, reminding me of the analogies between the scientific method and my approach to consulting, that's essentially what I'm doing, which surprising to me because I was not a scientist in high school, but the so, approach made sense to me. Well, I, I, I'm, and I really want to underline this is that science is for everybody. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. go get a PhD <laughs> yeah. to benefit from science. Yes. Like everyone's everyone who's been through like high school or so at some point has probably done some kind of like science experiment, you know, and it might not be at a super large scale, but the scientific method is still in there and we can use that Um, and we continue to use it sometimes without even knowing it, you know. Um, And so just continuing, though, on this. consultants journey through a project so yeah we're executing on the project and uh on average what would you say is like the length of projects that you work on is it like less than three months three months you know a year multi-year uh contracts you know what um and do you even have a preference for length of contract i don't have a preference but the ones that i've had the most experience with so far has been uh, six months to a year, somewhere in between that window, because yeah. oftentimes uh, for some of these projects, getting up to speed, you know, mm-hmm. even where, regardless of how urgent the, the need is and me coming in to help with whatever challenge that they're, the, the client is dealing with, it takes some time to get ramped up. 
and then to set things up so you can start to measure the results. So it's hard to do it in three months unless things are set up already and I'm familiar with it. But I said the sweet spot for me has been the six to 12 month window because not only can I set things up, get to know, get oriented, um, and then hopefully, you know, we can start to see the results of our efforts. It's not just me, obviously, but working with uh, teams, whether it's development team or sales teams or marketing teams, so that we can start to see the results. So six to 12 months. Yeah. And would you say these are uh, mission-based projects where there's like a specific um, objective um, of the, uh, uh, over that time period, or is it evolving, you know, uh, over the same time period? I would say there's usually a specific issue that's brought in. Now, given my, um, my background and the work I've done, like it's a specific, like if somebody's reaching out to me, there's a specific need that either the hiring manager or the recruiter is trying to solve for. And if you're bringing me in, it's like, all right, I need a guy who knows this and I'm that guy, whether it's through either uh, the hiring managers or the recruiters that I work with or the referrals that I get. It's like, you know this platform or you know this, you have been dealt with this issue before and I have, you know, can you help us solve this problem? Because it's like, you bring me in, something's on fire. And I shine in that situation, actually. I, For me, there's a clear thing to be solved. I struggle with something that's evolving, nebulous, organic. Can you study, mm -hmm. can you realize I've studied copywriting for a little bit there? <laughs> but like I said, it's for me, again, back to the scientific method, it's good to for me to have um, a hypothesis that I need to test. And so I can put things in place so we can get the results that they're hoping for. It's not a guarantee that it'll work, but just at least we'll have some kind of approach that's going to at least be make sense. You can communicate to your stakeholders. Mm. Scientists are typically judged based on the strength of their method and not so much the outcomes. And there are scientists who have been paid yeah. a lifetime to cure cancer. It's not cured yet, but that doesn't mean right. that they're a bad scientist. It right. might well, just mean that cancer is a difficult thing to solve. Well, then that would make them just bad consultants. And that would be the difference. <laughs> See, that's the subtle difference between a scientist and a consultant. Because nice. I love the distinction. <laughs> just, yeah, I support that. You know, like the strength of their framework. Results. <laughs> but your, your clients are, whether it's your employer, if you're doing full time, if you're mm -hmm. a client, if you're working as a consultant or a freelancer, there's no, there's not, we, you always clarify that there's not always a guarantee, but your goal as a consultant is to put your client in the best place possible to accomplish their goals. And one of the things is anybody can tell you that who's ever done any, any freelancing, consulting, or contracting is that businesses are willing to put their money in the mouth, put their money where their mouth is, if you can deliver the results that they're looking for. So one, yes, you want to have that scientific rigor and set things up so that way we can not only accomplish the goals, but prove that your involvement helped accomplish that goal. But if you can say that even directionally, your expertise has contributed to going in the right direction, that's where you want to be as a consultant. Scientists, they have a, they have a moonshot. Totally get it. If you want to solve cancer, you know, cure solve cancer. 
<laughs> if you want to cure cancer, you know, obviously that's going to take time. But if you're making progress, well, I get that. But when it comes to the world of business, regardless of what business you're in, results have to factor in as well. Great distinction. Uh, thank you for that. Continuing, um, well, actually, brief recap um, so far. Uh -huh. So to be first, uh, to we want to be able to be found, you know, and hey, that could be done through a social media platform such as LinkedIn. Could also yeah. apply to even job platforms, you know, where people might be wherever your your ideal economic buyer, you know, might be searching for um, you, you know, who has the skills and capabilities to be able to fill the need that they have. Uh, and then from there, being able to interview with them, onboard into the project, have a vision for where it is that they're going and being able to help them, then having the skills to be able to execute on the project. Now, as you begin to offboard from a project and it's uh, time for you to, you know, maybe add other clients to the roster, uh, what's the split, would you say, between referrals to clients versus uh, just new clients uh, finding you through this inbound method uh, that you have set up? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that it's been 70-30 and the split okay. is 30% being referrals. Because uh, like I said, with some clients that I've worked with, uh, may not have gotten the results that they wanted, but I set things up so they can be successful. Yeah. But, you know, they're looking for specific results and sometimes that didn't happen despite my best efforts. So I would say 30% of referrals from clients I've worked with. And I would say 70% it's new, partly because one of the things like I mentioned before, I have to learn. So being able to um, keep my options open in terms of, new clients in different industries, different size companies has been more my approach, at least in the most recent chapter of my career. Um, that was intentional. One of the things, one of the insights that I had from my first chapter when I was going to the strategy and analytics path was that I didn't want to get too niche into analytics. Like this is, this is, I am, this is Earl, back to your lesson about your, your recap about the branding. This is Earl. He's the analytics guy. He's a numbers guy. I'm like, no, not. This, this is not me. I mean, I can do that, but it's not like me. So for me, to answer your question, it would be a 70-30 split of referrals from a specific project that I've, or a team that I've worked with before and 70 because I wanted to work with different clients, different industries, different companies. Mm. Okay. That is super clear. Thank you for that. Because I am looking at this through the lens of whether or not someone is coming into this and they're new in their, yeah. you know, independent consulting journey, or they are further along in their journey and they're looking to hear how other consultants have done it so that they can think about their own consulting journey through each project for how they might improve, you know, throughput as well as quality. Uh, and also to just rethink, you know, their business model for, because, you know, something that I've shared with my own past clients is the most talented neurosurgeon can't operate on their own brain, you know? And so it is helpful, um, in my opinion, uh, and experience to be able to hear from someone such as yourself, how they're doing it. Yeah. Um, the best, given that context, that makes total sense for somebody who's just getting started or somebody further along their consulting journey, 
I'll be honest, it's not unlike dating. You know, you know, like we've all been in relationships some more than most. And what I've always likened my experiences with working with clients, it's like finding the good match. Like you mentioned this before earlier in our call in our conversation that making sure that I have I'm a good fit for the problem or the challenge that they the client's working with, and having those conversations and asking those questions so we can make sure that I have what they're looking for. Because I've have the conversations where I'm not that guy. For example, I don't do content. I do not write words. I do not draw pictures. I am not that guy. But if you have things to pull together, these systems to talk together, teams you need to communicate between each other, I have that skill set. I can do that. But back to the point of like where you are in your consulting journey, every experience that you have, every client engagement that you have, take it as another tool that you can add to your bat belt regardless of where you are. And you should take restock of that. And you mentioned earlier about the pre-mortem when you're working with clients, but I want to also emphasize the post-mortem. Take a look, what worked in that last engagement? What worked with that client? And then if it worked, keep doing that. And if it doesn't, try something different. Again, now that I, you know, you pointed it out, it's a scientific method. Mm -hmm. So this is good because you've given us a very clear picture again of consulting growth stages, also the consultant journey throughout a project. Uh, yeah. There's something else that you have been uh, seeding into this conversation um, as well, which is uh, the consultant business model and more specifically within the business model positioning. You yeah. were very intentional about not being the analytics guy, but instead being the guy, like you just mentioned, that if you need strategy make sure that the operations like all you know fits together making sure the team all talks together you know yeah. that's a very uh a strategic consulting uh position or strategic advisory um if you will yeah. is what it sounds like did you always know that you did not want to be the analytics guy even though it's one of your capabilities i didn't know at the time but like i said during my first chapter in my career I was, like I said, I could think ahead. I think it was Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think it was number two that's begin with the end in mind. So I was talking to my bosses, you know, trying to think like, where am I going to be in five years of my career? And I was looking at my bosses and I admire them and I know they're brilliant and I learned a lot from them, but do I want to be the analytics director of a place or thing? I was thinking about that. I wasn't sure if that's where I wanted to go. And so for me, I kept an open mind to that. And through my, again, personal MBA chapter of my career, I started to narrow down the areas that not only were I learned I could contribute the most in, but I found more exciting. So for me, to your point earlier about strategy, like you need to have a plan. Even if it doesn't work, you need to have a plan. You need to have a goal so we can know where we're shooting towards and don't get me wrong, it evolves. You can change it, but you still need a plan. And then operations. I like, I was a Lego kid. I was a nerd reading encyclopedia. I always like to build a lot of Legos. You can judge me all you want, but I like to see how things fit together. I like the operations. Like you have a plan. How do you make that plan a reality? And then mm -hmm. for me, back to your point earlier, my last, I would say, interlocking circle would be analytics. How do we measure and show that it worked? That we've made that even that even if we didn't get to the goal, what progress did we make? 
And so for me, I just, like I mentioned before, I was a room burning a dirty room. I just ended up figuring out that, oh yeah, I do like strategy. I do like operations. I do like analytics. And yeah. I started to narrow down opportunities that have a good overlap of those three different skill sets. That's fascinating to me because the theme that I'm here within that now is not just science, but also engineering. Engineering's are, engineers are obsessed with making sure that it can <laughs> perform the function yeah. as intended. It's yeah. not just about like creating a pretty plan, you know, yeah. it's like at the end of the day, <laughs> does it do the thing? Does it get the job done? Yeah. Um, so um, I, I have many friends uh, in engineering. Uh, yep. and have had to take classes on engineering. I recognize it when I see it. Um, yeah, I think we have a mutual friend. I'm thinking Charles at the top of my mind. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. That yeah. makes sense. So yeah. there's something else that we haven't spoken about, which is personal development. Um, we've both, I mean, obviously there's like, if you're listening to this, you can't see the bookshelves behind me, but if you're watching this, then you can see like these, these, these books, um, behind me. And that's just one set of bookshelves that are able to be seen like on camera. Um, <laughs> and you've probably read like more than this, these entire bookshelves. Uh, how has personal development shaped your approach to consulting and actually even better? Is there any book, one through three books, that have shaped your approach to consulting more than the others? Oof. Ugh. Like I said, I've read a lot of books. That's a, uh, mm -hmm. that's a good one. Okay. Um, organizing the library in my head. So there was one. was... Okay, so the first one on top of my mind would be um, Tim Ferriss for our work week. It's probably well known at this point. Spent years in the top 10 position in New York Times as seller. And from that book, I learned a lot of some of the basic concepts like the Parkinson's Law and the Pareto, Pareto Principles. And the idea of thinking about planning ahead in terms of your life, in terms of how do you want to spend your life. That actually got me started on the consulting path because I wasn't sure that I was to be very frank, sold on the 95 idea. That's how I wanted to live my life. And so I think one of the big reasons why I started consulting was trying to figure out how, I think they constantly call it called the four W's, the who, the what, and the when, and the why, I believe so. And based on oh, the where I believe is who, what, is who, what, where, and, uh, and why I believe. But the long story short is having control over the, clients you worked with, the projects you worked on, the, the teams you worked with. And so for me, that's why I think that kind of started the, my, my freelance consulting contracting journey because I wanted to get more say in those the, the clients I worked with and the projects I worked on. So Tim Ferriss is definitely number one. And I'm having trouble remembering the name uh, that talked about, the name escapes me right now. It talked about the difference between uh, entrepreneur, a manager, and a practitioner. Hmm. And it's about building a franchise model. And it'll come to me later, but it's one of my books that it'll come to me later because I have so many books in my head right now. Hmm. But basically, the biggest concept of the book is that oftentimes when people start the journey as they start the journey as 
uh, technician. I think the word he uses is technician. Like you're a specialty, you're a designer, you're a copywriter. So the, e, the E myth by Michael. Yes, yes, uh, Michael yes. Gerber. Gerber. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's the E myth. And I think the E myth revisited. I think he made some updates to it. But that just that concept alone, just the idea of when you are starting as a consultant, you have to wear different hats in that role. And oftentimes you start as a technician, as in you have a specialty that you are being hired for. Whether, like I said, you could be a designer, you could be a developer, an engineer, for example. You could be an analyst. And there's a specialty that you are good at. That's doing the day-to-day job. Then you have to be a manager. Like you have to learn how to manage your calendar, how like manage the calendar of your clients and be able to manage the project so you can deliver you know, the goals to the expectations of your client. And then... Then there's the, I believe he calls it the entrepreneurial role, but I could be mistaken. But generally the idea is like, you're thinking holistically, like who is Earl.co as a brand? As how do you want to position yourself? So how I can get new clients to work with? How can I invest in educational resources that I can level up my skills and become more, um, not only just attractive to potential new clients to work with, but... Mm -hmm also more knowledgeable like for me for example i have three different platforms i'm learning right now just so i can live my skills whether it's learning nice. all the new updates to gta4 all the updates to gtm and understanding the need for mercury <laughs> and because for of someone listening in who's not familiar with the acronyms oh, uh, what do those yeah. <laughs> so yeah so i forgot to geek out sometimes so uh ga is for sense google analytics it's a mm -hmm well-known platform that's used for measurement it's uh built on the freemium model so everybody can install google analytics uh, for their online presence um and it can be as simple as a site do you have your name your address and how to contact you to as robust as an e-commerce platform like i work with the clients who use ga uh the advanced version of ga to manage their online store right and everything in between um so ga4 is a, the next evolution of Google Analytics, and there have been a significant change in how they approach things. It's not just not an upgrade. It's kind of a new product in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So, and there's a deadline coming up in the summer where you have to be able to, all companies that are using this as their measurement tool of choice, digital measurement tool of choice for their applications or for their websites or their e-commerce stores, there needs to be an understanding of what changes are happening and how they need to be adapted to their, the new approach. So that's one platform, Google Analytics 4, GA4. Mm -hmm. Google Tag Manager, and it's the same family, and that's making it easier for clients to be able to add tracking to the site to make it easier for them to understand what's working and what's not working. For example, you want to make sure that you, if you're working with Facebook, with digital ads, you're working for working with Google for their search ads, you're investing money in your emails to send out to your audience. You want to make sure you understand what's working, what's not working. In order to do that, you need to have the tracking and tagging in place. And Google Tag Manager, also known as GTM, is a tool that makes it easier, much easier for people to do that. You don't have to learn code and it makes it easier for, for you to understand what's working, what's not working. So that's just a couple of things that I'm brushing up on only because it makes not only me more knowledgeable, able to help my clients better, but it makes me more attractive as well because now that I know 
I'm confident more of my GA, GA4 skills, I can potentially propose and uh, pitch clients saying that I can help them with that transition because it's going to be a big change. Thank you for that. Sure. Okay. We, you've been extremely generous with your time. And so I only have a couple more questions uh, to wrap up. Well, you've been really generous. Like I, for the right person, this is, this is going to make a huge difference for them. Um, looking to the future. Yeah. Some people, when it comes to like uh, consulting, like they, they productize their expertise in the form of, you know, uh, online courses, for instance, yeah. you haven't done this. Instead, you have uh, focused on, and some other people scale their consulting by like growing consulting teams. Yeah. So far, you've chosen to be a solo consultant that doesn't productize. Any reasons why? I enjoy the conversations I have with the clients because I've thought about this and obviously in the space that's as you mentioned those are some of the traditional paths that certain consultants take I like working with clients to help solve their problems and for example the product approach would and it works for some people it doesn't work for me because it's too hands-off right mm -hmm. And, and don't get me wrong, I like working with a lot of great products out there that I can like learn keyboard shortcuts and stuff like that. But I enjoy having those conversations and getting to the root cause of whatever challenge that the client is dealing with and helping them work with them to work with them and their teams to solve it. And the other approach in terms of the classes, et cetera, I'm sure that I can come up with a methodology and framework that I borrow liberally. I eat steel from a lot of the resources I read. But like I said, one, I've learned in my career is not usually one size fits all. I mentioned earlier that, yes, there are definitely patterns, regardless of the size of the company and what they're trying to do. I acknowledge that if you're just applying the scientific method to different challenges. But I would say that I like to provide more of a, a bespoke solution. And saying that's not a one size fits all. So that's why I would say that every time, like if you've been at one of my pitch calls, I would tell clients that, yes, I've worked with all the analytics platforms and I have one that I'm the most familiar with, but I need to learn more about what you're trying to accomplish before I come with a recommendation. Because maybe Google Analytics is not the right fit for you. Maybe it's Adobe Analytics because that's a better fit. Maybe Google Tag Manager is not what you want. Maybe it's Telium IQ, right? Depending on how robust you need your, your tag management solution to be. Right. And so I think of both paths, I've been kind of enough to do my own path in the middle. And for me right now, that's a good place for me to be. Um, at some point, I'm going to have to figure out a way how do I make what I do scalable? And maybe, just, and I think the thing that comes to me right now is I've had the fortune of also not working with really good clients, but working with really good um, subject matter experts who add something to the table. So for example, I worked with a good friend of mine and he was great at development and engineering, especially on what I say, the backend in terms of building an application and making sure the things are being captured. The databases, relational database, working with the, the backend data, if it's especially if it's really robust, setting up the SQL server, et cetera. I'm more on the front end, making sure that all the platforms are integrated, like we have the right, uh, data visuals, uh, data, uh, data visualization solution, and making sure that what teams are seeing, whether it's sales and marketing or you know product teams, 
are using are helpful drawing on the data that's connected. So I think for me, it's not going to be so much the the teaching route or the productizing route. It's going to be more the partnership route. Mm. You know, working with people who uh, have skills and an expertise that are complementary to mine. Well said. <laughs> I just want to say thank you uh, for the comprehensive answer to like, <laughs> all of this. Again, yeah. this is going to be one that people are going to be able to come back to uh, for years to come. Uh, honestly, it's an honor uh, to know you, uh, <laughs> you know, as a colleague, as a friend. Uh, and again, I just want to say thank you uh, for taking the time to do this. No, thank you. I'm honored to, you know, help as much as I can. I, I think what you're doing is amazing because I think that there are not a lot of resources for people who are considering the consulting track. And I think that just having voices to the concepts, people who have actually done it yep. and done it in their own way, different specialties, it's an opportunity that I wish I had when I started. So yep. you generational, your younger generation, your younger whippersnappers should be grateful. <laughs> well, I think people who are well into their consulting journey uh, could also learn uh, from you as well. You know, so thank you uh, for all of this. Thank you.